tonight's talk is called Questions We May Ask Ourselves. As we grow up in life and make the transition from childhood to adulthood, we often start to ask ourselves questions about life and living. We often find ourselves curious about this world and our place in it. We begin to be self-reflective and yearn to understand more. The talk this evening is about the types of questions we may find ourselves asking and how meditation practice can help us answer these questions. I'd like to start with telling you about the life of the Buddha. The Buddha was born into a ruling family 2,500 years ago in India, and a prophecy said at his birth that he would either be a great ruler or a great religious leader. His parents were hoping for the former. They wanted him to be a great ruler. And so his father and his parents tried to protect him from the world because they didn't want him to start asking questions that might lead him on a religious search and turn him into a great religious leader. But even though they tried to protect him from seeing things of this world that may make him start to question. They weren't successful. <laughs> they were trying to actually protect him from seeing suffering. They, um, the story goes that he lived in a palace where he wasn't allowed to see death or decay or sick people or any um, form of suffering, and that his father um, even went to the extreme of having a team of gardeners pick all the dead blossoms off the uh, flower bushes in the morning so that he wouldn't see um, flowers that had decayed. But he was a reflective sort of person, and he uh, wanted to know more. So he stole out of this castle, and he saw a sick person and a old person and a dead person. And so he started asking questions about life. You know, what, what's going on here? Um, why do we suffer? Uh, why do these things happen in the world? And he then saw a monk, and this monk inspired him to leave home and to go on a religious quest in order to answer these questions about life. So the Buddha was a person who asked questions and searched for answers, and he encouraged us to do the same. After he uh, discovered what caused suffering and what causes happiness, he encouraged others to look for themselves and to find the same questions and answers. So he taught this type of meditation that we're doing. So you may not know it, but you're here asking and answering questions about life. One kind of question that we may ask, find ourselves asking, is who am I? Through this practice, through sitting uh, here in the hall and watching our minds and seeing the particular patterns that they have, we begin to understand our unique personalities. We begin to understand our strengths and our weaknesses. Our self-knowledge increases, our awareness of how we operate. This isn't always easy. The parts of ourselves that are pretty, we're usually quite willing to look at. <laughs> and we already know about, but the parts of ourselves that may not be so pretty, we aren't always so excited about knowing, and um, we may actually not be aware of them until we sit down and start to 
look at our minds and how they are working. So as we pay attention, we may notice that um, certain patterns of thought that we have in mind that worries a lot or wants a lot or judges a lot. And so we start to get kind of a realistic picture of what's going on. I remember that before I began to meditate, I actually thought I was somewhat perfect. Um, I was quite arrogant, really. (laughs) And it didn't take too long of meditating um, to actually realize that many times my mind was quite egotistical and critical and self-absorbed. It was an awakening. You can see that this kind of looking takes courage and strength. I like to say that um, in my late teens and my early 20s, I traveled a lot. I traveled all over the world. I lived in a few countries. I parachuted from an airplane, and I translated for a BBC reporter in the guerrilla territory of Guatemala. And I did all these uh, wild and uh, dangerous and difficult things. But the most difficult thing I ever did was to come back into this hall over and over and look at my mind. It's not easy to do this practice. It's not always easy to come face to face with ourselves, our minds, and how we work. But there's actually good news here. The fact that we can come in here and see ourselves, um, develop self-awareness, begin to understand how our minds work, begin to understand our particular strengths and weaknesses, the, chance, the, the fact that we can do that gives us the chance to work with these difficulties and transform them. In my experience, transformation always starts with awareness, with seeing clearly. I'm going to read a quote by a monk called Bhante Gutnaratama, who lives in Washington, D.C. area. which uh, expresses the same idea. He says, Somewhere in this process of meditation, you will come face to face with the sudden and shocking realization that you are completely crazy. Your mind is a shrieking, gibbering madhouse on wheels, barreling pell-mell down the hill, utterly out of control. No problem. You are not crazier than you were yesterday. It has always been this way, and you just never noticed. You're also no crazier than anyone else around you. The real difference is that you have confronted the situation, and they have not. So they still feel relatively comfortable. That does not mean that they are better off. Ignorance may be bliss, but it does not lead to liberation. So don't let this realization unsettle you. It is a milestone, actually, a sign of real progress. The very fact that you have looked at the problem straight in the eye means that you are on your way up and out of it. So often we come into contact with uh, the craziness of our minds. I remember as a teenager, I, um, I specialized in worry. My friends called me a worry wart. And um, I loved to worry about everything. In fact, 
when I would go to bed at night, I would review the day to see if there was anything that I hadn't worried enough about and um, would uh, go through and see if I could unworry everything okay. As my awareness grew uh, more into my late teens, I started to realize that I actually didn't have to get lost in the worrying, that I didn't actually have to believe this story, the stories that I would tell myself when I was worrying. So this is, a, this is a, a, an example of how awareness can help us start to work with the difficult parts of our mind and, and not get so lost in them. I was also a perfectionist um, when I was younger, too. Everything had to be done just right, just perfectly, and um, I wouldn't go to sleep at night until like my room was completely clean and everything was picked up and everything. And as I started to understand that part of myself, um, I would purposely leave my dirty clothes on the floor overnight to try to increase the flexibility of my mind. And again, it was the awareness of this trait that I had and how it worked for me that gave me this chance to try to work with it in a different way and to give myself more freedom in my mind. Later when I came to meditation and um, spent many hours in this hall, I started to work uh, a lot with emotions, difficult emotions, especially fear and anger, two emotions that I didn't like very much and most of us didn't, don't like very much. And I started to figure out how we can be with our emotional experiences and not get lost in them. We're going to talk more tomorrow about exactly how you do this. But the idea is that we learn how to experience an emotion without going so far off into the story that we get lost and suffer a lot. And the way we do that is by being with the physical experience of the emotion and, and understanding the flavor of, the, of it in the mind, but not encouraging the story. So as I learned to do this more and more, I learned to see that, okay, I don't have to be a slave to my mind and to the emotions that come up, that, um, that we can find freedom within our experience of our minds. So sometimes this question, who am I, becomes, how can I work with those parts of myself that block my peace? How can I work with those parts of myself that um, block a sense of spaciousness or freedom in my mind. We come to understand that we can accept our shadows, accept our, all of ourselves. We can learn to even love our, our difficult parts. And doing this, uh, accepting and loving all of ourselves, the good, the bad, the easy, the difficult, it leads to a sense of inner peace. We learn that we're okay just as we are, even as we may aspire to be more loving or more generous or more patient. We learn to also accept ourselves as we are right now. It often feels somewhat like a coming home. It's a like bringing all the pieces home is how I describe it sometimes. So we start to understand that what separates us from our peace of mind is that, what, that which we run from. And that by learning to hold parts of ourselves that we reject or run from, we actually find peace. And meditation gives us a tool for this holding, learning how to hold all the, all the parts of ourselves. 
So the next time you don't want to come in the hall, you might ask yourself, what am I running from? And can I be with it? Is it restlessness, a feeling that most of us dislike? So can I be with restlessness? Can I come in this hall and just be okay with being restless? Notice how the mind races around when we're restless. Notice how the body feels jumpy. And just let that be. Or is it boredom that we run from? What's it like to come in here and just be bored? What's boredom like? You know, most of us don't actually take the time to notice. Or is it fear? Now, we all have our kind of particular uh, patterns of things that we run from. And so can we practice being with those parts? And as we practice being with those parts, can we then extend what we can accept in our lives? And we can start to work skillfully with these parts that have caused us trouble before. So for example, um, if we can't be with restlessness, we're condemned to constant activity. That's not freedom. As we can learn to be with restlessness, then we have flexibility in our lives, whether we want to rest or we want to be active. If we can't be with anger, we'll yell at those that we love. But yet, if we can learn to be with anger, then we'll again have flexibility with how we communicate, and our lives will be happier. So meditation, by teaching us how to be with all of our experience, especially the parts that um, aren't so easy and that we might be likely to act out, it actually um, gives us more flexibility and freedom in our minds and in how we live our lives. This is liberation. I keep thinking of the quote, um, one of Bob Marley's songs, which, as I understand, is still, he's still quite known, even though, well, there's a t-shirt in here, <laughs> even though um, it, you know, he's, he's not alive and he sang a while ago. He says, emancipate yourselves from mental sl- slavery. Only you can free your mind. So that's what we're doing here. We're emancipating ourselves from mental slavery, and we're freeing our minds. And we do that by knowing our minds, by being with ourselves, by knowing who am I. Another question that uh, follows pretty much on the heels of this who am I question is the question, What brings me happiness and what causes me sorrow? It's probably uh, the fundamental question that we're asking all the time, even if we're not aware of it. And it's the fundamental question that the Buddha had in mind when he went on his spiritual search. And as we meditate more and more, we slowly start to understand that our happiness depends on our ability to be with things exactly as they are. And we start to see that our unhappiness comes from struggling against the way things are. And so what we do here is we develop this ability to be with all of our experience, which, as you can see, is very related to the who am I question. We learn to be with all of our experience. And by doing that, we develop a very important quality, the quality of equanimity. 
Equanimity is this quality of a mind that is balanced and able to be with the ups and downs of life without getting freaked out. Were there perhaps some time in the last day when maybe you weren't too comfortable and you were able to just be with that and be okay with it? That's the beginning of developing equanimity. And so we come in here and we just learn to be okay with whatever is happening. So maybe it's sadness that's happening. We learn to be with that. Or maybe it's wanting, wanting mind. We find the mind wanting over and over again. We learn to be okay with that. We learn that we can live through the ups and downs in life with more balance without getting um, so blown about by the winds of change. Another more concrete example might be a knee pain. Let's say we are talking today about working with pain. One reason that we do this in meditation is that it develops the ability to be with unpleasantness. You may have noticed that life doesn't always give you exactly what you want. Maybe for lunch you wanted a hamburger and we had pasta. Or maybe you're trying to meditate and the lawnmower outside starts and makes a lot of noise. Maybe you like someone and they don't give you the time of day. And then life is always changing. If we're not able to be with unpleasantness, then we're condemned to suffer when life becomes unpleasant, which it inevitably does at some time or the other. Because we are in this world of constant change, things are always changing. So if we're not able to be equanimous and be able to be with both the ups and downs of life, we're going to be blown about by the winds of change. We're not going to feel like we have um, peace or a centeredness about us. So how do we stay centered and even happy in this world that changes all the time? It's by developing this quality of equanimity, this all-important quality of equanimity. So back to the knee pain, your, you know, your, your knee uh, hurts, it doesn't feel so well. And the instructions are to see if you can observe that pain and be with it and just let it be there. And any moment that we're able to do that is a moment of equanimity. You know, and you might be able to do it for two or three moments and then your mind might go, no, I don't like this. That's great, you had your two or three moments. It's, you're developing that really important quality. Or we also talk in the practice about letting go of thoughts. You might be in the middle of a very wonderful thought about what you're going to do when you leave here, and then you notice, oh, I'm thinking. And the instructions are to see if you can just let that thought go and go back to the breath. Anytime you can let go of something that's pleasant rather than hanging on to it, you're developing that quality of equanimity. So we're doing something very concrete here in this practice with all the instructions that we give about being um, with all of our different experiences. We're developing this quality of equanimity.
So with equanimity, we can be with the good times and we can be with the bad times. It's like we become our own best friend. And then we know peace of mind, which the Buddha called the highest kind of happiness. And our minds feel more spacious, less jumbled and and in turmoil. A a quote from the Song of Mahamudra, which is a a Buddhist text, um, a Buddhist poem, um, gives us a feel for this kind of development of equanimity. They say, it says, at first they feel their minds tumbling like a waterfall, and in mid-course like the Ganges, it flows slow and gentle. And in the end, it's like the great vast ocean. We're developing minds that are more like the great vast ocean. So we practice this happiness by coming in the hall, no matter how we feel, and befriending ourselves moment by moment. Befriending restlessness and sleepiness, aversion or wanting. Another image that's sometimes used um, to describe the equanimous mind is the image of a mountain. A mountain is steady and stays there no matter what the weather is. If it's raining or snowing or sleeting or the wind is blowing or it's sunny, doesn't matter. The mountain stays there steady and strong. That's the kind of mind that we're trying to develop. And maybe you know somebody, you can think of somebody who has that kind of presence about them that things happen in life and they don't get whipped around by it, that they're able to stay steady and strong in this changing world. And we can be that kind of person. That's what the Buddha taught and that's what we're practicing with this meditation. One of my favorite stories about equanimity is a story that came out of one of Sharon Salzberg books, Sharon Salzberg's book. Um, and it's about one of her teachers called Kempo Rinpoche. And he had been a, a, in Tibet, a very high lama, you know, revered by crowds of people, very famous, very um, well known and revered. And then when the Chinese came, to an attack Tibet, he had to flee, and he had to flee with a party of 70 people over a mountain pass. It was very dangerous, um, and the Chinese ambushed them in the middle of their their trip and uh, killed a number of his group. In fact, only five made it to safety. And then um, he wound up in Calcutta, where he had he was so poor that he had to beg in the streets for tea. You know, to enough money to buy a cup of tea. And so he's telling this whole um, group of people this story. And Sharon said in the book, you know, she was like so overwhelmed by all, you know, his, how sad his story was that he'd been such a great lama and so well taken care of. And then he wound up being a beggar. And that she said she was just moved to tears. And so were other people in the crowd. So Kemp was telling a story. And then he ends it, you know, the story about begging in Calcutta and all he ends. And he says, And I was very happy. What a mind, you know, a mind that can be just as happy in the streets of Calcutta as, um, as a high and revered lama in Tibet. 
This is a person who had developed very strongly this quality of equanimity. But it takes practice, and um, that's what we're doing here. So we explore these questions, um, who am I? Um, How do I work with the difficult parts of myself? What brings me happiness in life? What causes me sorrow? And we explore them through practice, but we don't explore them by thinking about them. It's a different kind of um, learning and exploration. It's not exactly like high school, where we read and and, uh, think about things and have to have a test later. Our test is life. The way we learn through meditation is by just being aware of our experience. So it's very based in um, just being with our experience, whatever it is. So being with our minds, or being with our bodies, being with our emotions, being with our thinking, and just exploring it all. We learn the power of, of the light of awareness this way, of mindfulness to transform our lives and to bring us happiness. I'd like to end tonight with a, a poem um, about keeping quiet and about um, what this does for ourselves and for the world. It's by Pablo Neruda, who is uh, one of my favorite poets, and it's called Keeping Quiet. Now we will count to 12, and we will all keep still. For once on the face of this earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales, and the man gathering salt would look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it's all about. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt the sadness of never understanding ourselves. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead and later proves alive. Now I'll count up to 12 and you keep quiet and I will go. Let's sit quiet for a few moments.
May you all be blessed in these next few days with the courage and the strength to develop this quality of equanimity. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.